Today I'm sitting with Courtney Salamone, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist on her team, genius, and who also crossfits, which is like, <laughs> you know, she's got all these muscles, but she's super teeny. It's Just had to throw that in there. <laughs> I know. It's one of my favorite things about you. <laughs> You just don't see it coming when your personality walks in the door. You don't see, oh, yeah, she hangs out at CrossFit. You wouldn't oh, think that. No, oh, thanks. So anyway, Courtney and I um, wanted to talk a little bit about um, just the issue of vulnerability and safe people and how do you build that in your life because um, it's it's a thing we're talking about with clients all the time, right? Like people come in and they're um, what they're struggling with is feeling disconnection, right? They're often saying, I don't, I don't feel known in my life. I don't, I feel like I'm hiding a lot of parts of myself from people. I'm afraid of really letting people in. I've had a lot of heartbreak in that area. Um, I just don't know what it looks like to be open with people. When people ask me how I'm doing, I always say fine, you know, sort of the classic stuff. And so one of the big tasks of many therapists is this process of inviting someone into First of all, let let me get to know who you are, and then let's see if we can figure out how to help you share that out there so you can experience greater connection um, in your community and in your relationships. So, Courtney, can you um, maybe talk a little bit about like how you see that playing out with clients? Like, What do people come in saying, and what does the process look like for you when doing that work with people? Yeah, sure. So when we're talking about vulnerability um, and this concept of vulnerability, it's really about um, letting ourselves be known and be seen and showing up in relationships and with other people. And um, it's hard to talk about vulnerability without mentioning the great Brene Brown uh-huh. and her work. Yeah, Brene. <laughs> <laughs> She's really um, started, you know, bringing people into this concept mm-hmm. and. Um, and making and naming it, letting mm-hmm. people know um, what vulnerability is. And she defines it as uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. Mm, that hurts. <laughs> Those are three hard words. I just love it. It's clear. It's to the point. Um, and how I see this coming up with clients is just a lot of fear and a lot of shame around showing themselves. Yeah. A lot of yeah. um, fear about who who they are and how they will present to people and yeah. um, what that will look like for them and in their life. Yeah. Can you say her definition again? Because those were all like terrifying words. <laughs> Uncertainty. Uncertainty. Risk. Risk. And emotional exposure. Emotional exposure. I mean, who doesn't like that? Lots of emotional exposure seems like a great idea. Yeah, and and I think you know she talks a lot about the um, the courage and the uh-huh. bravery it takes to be vulnerable. And um, I think for a lot of our clients, uh, there was childhood messages that maybe it's not okay to show uh-huh. yourself. Maybe there was a message that um, as a family we present as perfect, and there's nothing wrong with us. Um, we have all of our stuff together Mm -hmm. and, um, a lot of the work in therapy is just kind of recreating this narrative, um, that it's, it's okay to show yourself to people, to save people. Right. It's okay to let people in. Um, and actually that, that encourages a lot of emotional intimacy and connection. Right. 
And it's so interesting when you say a lot of families, like, we're perfect. Um, I grew up like that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we thought we were it, right? And it's just so interesting to hear other people say the same thing about their their family, that there's something about that uh, image that is quite common. Like, we're creating this picture of ourselves as the perfect family who's got it all together. Mm -hmm. And somehow we're all selling that to each other. Until one day we're not able to anymore. Until one day it sort of crumbles and we're like, wait a minute. This is total crap. Grandpa's an alcoholic and mom, you know, like we have all these things that are actually going on in the family that we've glossed over Mm -hmm. as if they're not real or important or impactful. That we just have these weird things that sort of are part of our story, but they're they're not relevant to who we are and how we're being shaped. And yet we continue to hide. And so this idea that we're the perfect family or uh, we've got it all together, it's like we, we don't actually ever feel that to be mm-hmm. true. Like a part of us always knows that's actually not real right. because we're not showing anybody the deep pieces of ourselves. And you can see how easy it is for shame to breed into that, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. to um, become such an internalized state. Right. If If we feel like, you know... We're supposed to be one way, mm-hmm. and this is how we're presenting. This is how we're supposed to be as a as a family or as a person, and we're not able to live up to that mm-hmm. um, because we're humans, right? And <laughs> we're never going to completely live up to that. Yeah. So, how how do you describe to people what that journey looks like? Like how how do you conceptualize it for people? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I think. Um, well, I always, I like to be a realist in that it's a hard journey. Yeah. Um, it's not easy and there's a lot of pain involved. Um, it's And a lot of courage, like we talked about with, with um, Brene Brown's definition. There's just a lot of um, courage needed to start to show yourself. Mm-hmm. And how I like to talk to clients about this is, um, we'll, we'll take baby steps, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not, That's there's great. not an on and off um, switch for, for vulnerability, yeah. right? We can practice and we can try it out and we can see how it feels and the response that we get and the connection, um, and intimacy that comes from that and see and check back in, see what that's like, um, and continue that process until it becomes more and more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of flip that narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Cause sometimes what what we're doing when we first start being what we think is vulnerable is we're just sort of telling people our story, (laughs) right? So we feel like, I'm just going to tell you all my things. Mm -hmm. I'm going to bear all my secrets. And that's me being vulnerable. And I, I think that there is this added piece to vulnerability that is, that is more than just telling some facts about you that vulnerability involves this reciprocal piece of like, you and I are having this conversation. And I, I'm choosing you in particular to have this conversation with because I want to develop a deeper closeness with you. I want to be known by you. I want to be more honest with you. I want to invite you to do the same. And that's a lot more scary than telling a stranger on the bus, you know, mm-hmm. your life story, right? So um, I think it's important for people to to know that, that um, why vulnerability is so emotionally exposing is that it... Um, it comes with this piece of like, 
this person I'm sharing with really matters to me and I'm going to tell them things that may change their view about me. And my greatest fear is that it would be a negative shift, right? That they would feel like maybe I'm a wreck or I'm crazy or I can never get it together or I don't know what I'm doing or, you know, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And, and oftentimes what we find, certainly that happens sometimes when the other person isn't um, grounded enough or is so afraid of their own story. But typically what we find when people share uh, is there's this feeling of like, oh, thank you for telling me that about yourself. Like, I feel really honored that you shared that. I'm so glad to know that. Um, I've had people say that when they did that, the other person's like, I mean, I always knew that about you. I, I don't know why you couldn't tell me that. Like, I just, I can, I can see that. I can see mm-hmm. that about you. So sometimes we think we're fooling people when really we're, you know, right. the more intuitive people in our life are picking up all this stuff anyway. And so what if we just started to own it a little more and just sort of ventured into that? Right. What right. do you What do you think are the the if you describe to people like what keeps you from doing this? Because people will say like, I get intellectually, this is a great idea, mm-hmm. but everything inside of me is screaming no. So what, what is it that causes the screaming no? How, how do you explain that? Yeah, I think this comes up in a lot of different ways for people. Um, for me personally, in my story, um, I had this concept that I grew up in a family in ministry and there were a lot of implicit messages that um, I needed to be a certain way, mm-hmm. right? I needed to um, be congruent with my family and the church And so for me, um, there was just a lot of those kind of perfectionistic ideals Mm -hmm. and values. And um, a lot of it kind of came out as, you tell me your stuff. Like, I'll be, I'm more than willing to hear what you have to say and all your problems. But it's too scary for me to share what's going on with me. Mm. um, Because who knows what you're going to think of me at the end of that. And I can't take that risk. Mm. Um, And what ended up happening is over time, I got more and more anxious about this and about um, presenting in a certain way and looking perfect to the world. Um, And that anxiety just, it eats away at you. Mm -hmm. It it just really bears down. And um, in, in one of my first experiences in therapy, I was able to finally name that and, um, and come to terms with it and what that mm-hmm. had meant for me and meant in my life and start to practice living in a more authentic way that was true to me and true to myself. And um, it took time and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually I experienced so much more freedom. And um, that freedom is really what, when I work with clients now and who have similar stories, um, we're really trying to work towards getting to that place where you can be free from all those expectations and that shame and um, just live in a way that feels genuine. Mm-hmm. And, and um, that, that way of life uh, feels so much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think similarly, I, I would say that my, my experiences personally were, were pretty similar. That like growing up in a really religious community and family that it was it was our job to take care of other people it was 
never important for us to acknowledge what we were going through or to talk about any of that, that those mm-hmm. things were a distraction or selfish or unnecessary. Um, and and so I think um, when when life starts piling up, it gets harder and harder to manage all the things internally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I can remember a few specific times where it became clear to me that like my strategy was not working. And I think that was really kind of, um, it was very uh, disorienting. Go like, I've been, I've been doing things a certain way forever and it seems right to me. And yet I'm not doing very well. And it got very obvious to me that I was not doing very well. Um, and yet I was always putting myself in leadership positions so that I would belong to something, right? Like I didn't, it wasn't so much that I loved leading. It was that I wanted to secure a spot for myself. And the only way I knew to do that was to be the indispensable leader. Mm. So that like people would need to call me. They would need me to show up. They would need me to be in charge of things. And that was my way of securing a spot for myself. Um, because I, I, I really had no idea that who I was as a person would be enough for people. That it would it would be um, my acceptance would be based on what I could offer, what I could create for others. So, um, yeah, that felt really true to me that that's that's the way things roll. And um, I remember when I was leading a women's group on a Wednesday morning, and um, I had little kids at the time, and Ken and I were really facing a crisis in our relationship. And um, I remember thinking, uh, on Wednesday morning, well, I'm just going to go to group and I'm just going to do my thing, which is, you know, here are the questions we're working through yes. and uh, there are answers to these questions. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to stay with that. And, um, realizing that, um, sort of in the middle of trying to do that, that I wasn't actually able to, that emotionally I was so overwhelmed by what was happening at home that I couldn't pull it off that day. And I remember bursting into tears and, and, and the ladies sort of like, I can remember them pulling their chairs in and getting closer to me and feeling like both super overwhelmed by that and also so relieved that I could show them who I was and that that would actually create this movement toward me. That was like mind blowing that that could happen. Yeah. And, um, you know, I go back to that as a really, um, impactful moment in my life of seeing that like oh oh vulnerability creates this no idea had no idea and so that was a a really important moment for me to learn that like holding everything in buttoning everything down was leading to my implosion Mm -hmm. and letting them see and inviting them in was exactly what I needed Right. And while terrifying, was so freeing and relieving mm-hmm. at the yeah. same time. Yeah, so beautiful. Yeah, and you know, I think mm-hmm. we as humans we're really wired for that connection. We're, we come into this world ready for it, mm-hmm. um, and somewhere along the way, for a lot of us, that just gets um, muted. Right. It's kind of taken away, right. and I think when we can re- regain that and find it again. Um, it just provides so much more beauty in our mm-hmm. lives mm-hmm. and connection in our lives. Yeah. So let's talk about how we figure out how to do this with who, mm-hmm. right? Like that's a tricky thing because 
I've certainly experienced uh, sharing with people and feeling like that went really sideways Mm -hmm. or that person gave me some real trite answer about like, you know, everything's going to work out fine (laughs) or, you know, something that like you make, you want to punch them in the face, like, thanks for nothing, right? Like, I was an idiot to talk to you, right? Like, how, how do we prepare people for some of those experiences and how, how do we help them sort out who to share with and how to know if this person is a safe person to share with? What's that going to look like? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, when talking about that concept of vulnerability, it sounds like you're kind of asking about vulnerability within boundaries. Like Mm, what do boundaries mm -hmm. look like with this newfound vulnerability? And uh, Mm. there's a metaphor that I really like to use in my own life and with clients. And that's um, thinking, if you think about a house and you think about, say, your bedroom in that house, um, those people you let into your bedroom are going to be people who are close, um, emotionally intimate connections, right? You're going to share a lot of your life with them. They're in your personal space. Um, they're, they're in it with you, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, we have people maybe in our living room who... Um, yeah, they're still led into our personal space. They're still in our home, but there's going to be a certain level of boundaries there. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not quite as emotionally intimate as the people we let into our bedroom. Um, and then maybe thinking about like a front porch of your house. So these are people who they're close, right? Mm-hmm. But they're not quite all the way in. Yeah. Um, and people that you want to maintain some healthy connection as well as some healthy boundaries with. So um, I have clients just run wild with this metaphor. Um, they'll put you know, people down the street, camping yeah. in their backyard. <laughs> just um, really it's a way mm-hmm. to reflect and sort out the relationships in your life mm-hmm. and who feels safe, who feels like they can be led into the more intimate parts of your life and who feels like um, maybe they're better off down the street. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what's tricky about that is sometimes there are these um, assumptions about like, well, of course our family should be in the bedroom. Of course our the friends we spend the most time with should be in our bedroom. Our partner should be in the bedroom with us, right? Like there are some assumptions that in a perfect world, the, those things would be true. And yet we find that often um, when we're sort of learning about this and doing this, we find that there are people in our lives who've been very close and had a lot of access to us who actually are harmful to Mm -hmm. us and that's that's the tricky thing like what do i do with a parent who is unsafe or a best friend who is actually not good for me you know some Mm -hmm. of these things and sorting sorting those things out is tricky very tricky yeah yeah how how would you um how would you describe who's safe and who's not Okay, um, so when we're thinking about unsafe people, Mm -hmm. we can start there. When we're thinking about unsafe people, um, just a few kind of things to keep in mind. Often unsafe people won't take responsibility for themselves Mm. or for their actions. Mm -hmm. Um, They're quick to blame when things go wrong, (coughs) quick to blame others. Uh Um, A lot of times unsafe people avoid closeness or avoid connection. Maybe they get defensive when you bring things up rather You're too than sensitive. Yep. Why do you always have a problem with things? That kind of yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, rather than being open to some feedback or open yeah. to um, some conversation about hard things. 
Um, this is a big one. I think unsafe people often demand trust rather than earning it. Mm. I think a, mm-hmm. a big marker of safety is someone that will earn your trust mm-hmm. through stability, through consistency, through showing up, mm-hmm. right? And um, unsafe people tend to jump straight into wanting full trust. Yes. Um, unsafe people often will avoid their problems. Um, and really we see a lot of inconsistencies with unsafe people. Okay. So um, people who say they're going to do one thing and say it over and over and then do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, that starts to feel a little um, disorienting yeah. for us yeah. right? when we see that in others. Yeah. Let's have dinner on Friday night and then Thursday comes and they like, you know, I've got something else going on. Let's reschedule. You know, that sort of thing where you just can't count on them. You can't count on them. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I do want to say that everyone messes up sometimes, sure. right? This mm-hmm. isn't this isn't a blanket statement. Um, but I think the when we move on to safe people, one of the key parts is that ability to repair. Yeah. So maybe we do mess up. Maybe we are inconsistent once in a while. Maybe we do get defensive. But we're able to repair that later. Yeah. Um, and and that develops more intimacy within a relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're really looking for people who can, you know, when we say, hey, um, when I when I shared that piece about my story, I felt like what you said to me was kind of like trying to minimize my situation or trying to get me to feel better about it. And that was actually really hard for me. What I really wanted was for you to just sit in it with me, right? So we're we're looking for someone who can tolerate difficult conversations like that and say, "Oh gosh, I'm sorry. I guess I, I was feeling anxious and mm-hmm. um, I want I was worried about you feeling bad and I, I guess I did want you to just not feel bad." Yeah, right? I wanted so, to make it better. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to make it better and that was my misguided attempt, right? So we're looking for people who can tolerate difficult conversations like that mm-hmm. yeah. and who can manage their own anxiety when when you're sharing. Like I think another another uh, clue for folks who are maybe not unsafe, but not like super safe, if that makes sense. <laughs> right I'm, in the middle. <laughs> I'm creating my own category right now. So, um, you know, uh, I mean, we've all had this experience when you're you're sharing something, you're trying to be vulnerable, and then the other person is like, oh my gosh, that's so much like what happened to me, mm. right? And then before you know it... They hijack it. They hijacked it, right? And yeah. now they're telling a story, and um, oftentimes that's in an attempt to create connection with you. It's like they, like they want you to know, I know what you're talking about. I've been through something similar, and yet sometimes it feels like, oh we were spending too much time on me. Mm-hmm. So now we got to get back to you. Right. And, and so we have to sort of sort that out with people and just go like, you know, I just, I just, um, I just needed to talk about my thing for a minute. Right. And right. can the other person say, I, I know, I'm sorry. I just like, I got all excited that we had this shared experience and I wanted you to see that we're similar, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever the truth is for them. But yeah, all of that stuff can be, can be tricky to talk about. So we're looking for people who have some capacity to talk about when things go sideways a little bit. Yeah, to have difficult conversations without an automatic defensiveness or Mm -hmm. or blame. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about this idea of unsafe versus safe people, a lot of these concepts come from 
um, the book Safe People by mm, Doctor. Yeah, there you go. Mm. Um, by Doctor Henry Cloud and Doctor John Townsend, and they just really do a good job of making these very clear. Right, mm. they give examples and talk about um, the different things we're looking for. So when we're talking about safe people, then um, we're talking about people who are empathetic mm-hmm. and also can act on that empathy. So mm-hmm. that's that's a sign what of real mean? safety. Can you, me, can you give an example of that? Like act on empathy. Yeah. So an example of that would be, um, well, in my own life, I have a, a great friend who's also a co-worker here at mm-hmm. Solar Care. Kelly Laporta. <laughs> shout out to Kelly Laporta. <laughs> can we do shout outs? We that's sure okay. can. Okay. It's our thing. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> um, and uh, she provides a lot of safety for me because if um, – she has empathy in that she can see when things aren't going well. Say mm-hmm. it's been a hard day, um, it's been a long day, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. And she'll usually always check in, and that's acting on that empathy. So mm-hmm. not only does she feel it and she senses it, but she checks in with me to yeah. see kind of what's going on. Yeah. And that provides a lot of safety for, right. uh, for us or for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and how lovely to have a friend who can – who's really looking at you, right? Who's mm-hmm. like not just listening when you have, when you're present and wanting to talk about something, but like has an eye out for you, mm-hmm. right? It's like, I saw you over there in staff meeting and you looked sad or because she knows you so well, she knows what the look on your face is about, right? And so right. she she knows what's happening with you, even if you're not talking about it. Right. Safe people will listen when we ask for what we need. So that goes back to what you were saying earlier, Elaine, when mm-hmm. you bring up, you know, something was hurtful or yeah. something didn't land right. Um, and maybe you needed something different from that person. Whether or not they necessarily agree, they'll mm-hmm. listen mm-hmm. and they'll understand where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. So that's a marker of safety. Um, participating in reciprocal sharing. So that's another way we can find safe people who are willing to engage in conversations about themselves as well as what you're going through and just kind of um, build intimacy in that way. It's similar to hijacking, isn't it? It's just that there's (laughs) more space in between. I mean, isn't that that sort of what it is, right? We're getting pretty nuanced here. Yeah, yeah. That like we do want the other person to share with us. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also want a little space to share our own because most of us are fighting against all of these meshes, messages about like, you know, asking for attention, asking for help, needing support, all of those things are bad. And so if the other person is too quick to jump to their story and what's going on with them, it can feel like hijacking, mm-hmm. right? So, um, but but it's important that it happens at some point. Right. Reciprocal sharing as in you listen first mm-hmm. and you and you validate mm-hmm. your friend or your partner or whoever and then you can share your stuff afterwards. Right. right. <laughs> um yeah, so and then I guess lastly like obviously safe people are not perfect. We already talked about perfectionism. It doesn't right. exist. Mhm. Uh-huh. Um you know, they're going to make mistakes. People, we all make mistakes, but uh, the stance or the lens which they come to or the mindset they use when they come to relationships is one of wanting to engage and wanting to repair and wanting to um, understand Yeah. And, and be close to another person. Yeah, yeah. Very nice. All right. So thanks, Courtney. 
great conversation about all of that. So important, real hard, and yet so worth it. So I think what we're saying is read anything Brene Brown because it's all (laughs) genius and it's all super helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, And then take some risks in some of your relationships. Sort of assess like who who in my life, and it might even be somebody who you're not super close to now, but somebody who like is sort of on the periphery, who's like who has these qualities of Mm -hmm. empathy and all of that, and maybe take a bit of an attempt. You know, give it a try. Share a little bit more. Um, One of the things that I did early on when I was trying to build real relationships is I would sort of stalk women that I knew. (laughs) This was before like stalking on social media was a conversation, but just be like, you know, I really like so-and-so. I think she's pretty cool. And I would just ask people, would you like to be my friend? (laughs) (laughs) It's like a throwback to seven years old. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, you know, fortunately for me, that went fairly well. I can see it going sideways just as easily where people are like, you're super weird. Why are you cornering me in the bathroom asking me to be your friend? Yeah. But I, I think that um, what I was trying to say to him is I, I'm, I'm trying to be more honest about my life and my faith and things that I'm worrying about. And I'm looking for some other women who want to do that with me. Mm-hmm. Are you interested in that? Right? Yeah. So um, that can work sometimes. It's just trying to figure out like who is interested in a deeper kind of relationship than just the superficial, you know, how are you doing? Great, great. Your kids are beautiful. Everything's going great. Um, you know, do we have, are we, are we able to pursue relationships where we can really tell people what's really going on and experience the connection and the safety and the freedom that comes with that? So, yeah. And I think what you're really talking about is that intentionality piece, mm-hmm. being intentional with who we spend time with and who we open up to, who we allow in our bedroom versus who we put on the porch yes nice and don't be afraid to put some people out on the street sometimes that has to happen too (laughs) (laughs) i love this quote by ann lamott perfectionism is shallow unreal and fatally uninteresting Mm, that's good (laughs) that's good whenever i fall back into perfectionism i remember how boring it is (laughs) (laughs) that's great All right, Courtney, thanks for sharing. Thank you.